I want to welcome our visitors today. Welcome those who are watching online and listening online. My name is Russell Atkins. Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dearest Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another day of life, another beautiful spring day, another Sabbath day, uh, and for what that day represents. Please be with our study this morning as we um, delve into the book of Amos and, and your dealings with the children of Israel uh, at that time. Guide our study, uh, bring light and insight uh, to your word, uh, and let us leave here wiser than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're studying lesson number four in our quarterly, the Minor Prophets. Uh, it's called Lord of All Nations. Sabbath afternoon study, uh, memory text. A lion has roared, who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy. Uh, it's from Amos 3.8. Do, um, if we hear a lion roar in this building today, what would our first um, inclination be? Fear. <laughs> Disbelief, yes. Uh, fear, um, looking out for our own safety. Um, God, is, uh, God is, being, is being portrayed as a lion. In this in this text, um, how, how do how do we how do we contrast that with uh, Christ being portrayed as a lion, as uh, not only the Lion of Judah, but uh, as the Lamb of God? What's the um, isn't there a apparent contradiction here? As we understand things on Earth, um, lions and lambs are. Yeah, one would be predator, one would be a prey. But scripture, what does scripture tell us about the way God's kingdom functions? What happens to the lion and the lamb? They lie down together. So um, there may not be as much of a contradiction as one as initially appears. The key thought for today's uh, first Sabbath lesson: all acts are acts of inhumanity or sins against God, and will be judged accordingly. First of all, which lens are we going to view today's lesson through? We need to determine that. Which filter? We're going to determine. We're going to look at the filter that God is angry because His imposed law has been broken and therefore needs to uh, uh, enact punishments on His children to, in order to maintain order and holiness. Or are we going to view this through the lens of a? parent concerned over a wayward child, a path chosen by those children that uh, will ultimately lead to their destruction. Which lens is the better one, the latter one? Which lens does the lesson seem to be viewing things from so far? The former one. <clears throat> Keep that in mind as we go through the uh, rest of the lesson because there, there are some Significant instances of uh, two diametrically opposed lenses and from which we get very different conclusions. Sunday's lesson entitled Crimes Against Humanity. In chapters Amos 1, Amos 1 and Amos 2, um, God is speaking through Amos to uh, the various uh, nations surrounding Israel and Israel itself and Judah as well about some of the things that they're doing that uh, are displeasing him and some of the, I'm not going to read through the whole, both chapters, but a, a list of some of them are human trafficking, 
perpetual anger, killing pregnant women, killing and dismembering pregnant women. That's, that's a nice one. Dishonoring a treaty, disrespect of the dead, taking bribes, dishonesty, and the one that really jumped out at me in Amos 2.4, uh, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Note that, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. It doesn't say he's going to actively punish. It says he's not going to turn away the punishment. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord. Which law? Think about it. And have not kept his commandments, and their lies have caused them to err, after which their fathers have walked. They've despised the law of the Lord. The imposed law, or the law that life was built to operate on? Or the law of crickets? (laughs) Come on, folks. Which is it? It's the natural law, the law of life, of course. Uh, At the end of paragraph, the third paragraph in in, uh, Sunday's lesson, someone read this, starts from God's perspective. Shout it out. From God's perspective, the person who assists and supports a crime is as guilty as the person who commits it. Okay, any thoughts? First of all, is, is this accurate? Do we have any evidence to support or refute this statement? The person who supports or assists a crime is as guilty as a person who commits it. Eve. If we're looking at it from an imposed law, um, that's one thing. If we're looking at it from a natural law, either assisting or, or doing the crime sears the conscience either way. So it's harmful. It, it can be. Um, it's not necessarily. I came up with a scenario that I think is uh, outside the bounds of that. But do we do we have any scripture that that might support our thoughts on one way or the other? I came up with one. Uh, I'm hoping someone else can think of another one. Um, the one I'm thinking of is Matthew eighteen five through seven. Uh, this is Christ, this is our Savior speaking, and whoso shall receive one such little child, in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall cause one of these little ones to believe in me to fall, it were better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must happen that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Okay, this is a, this is a text. I believe kind of supports the uh, assertion of the lesson. However, consider this: um, imagine that you're you're at home. You get a knock at the door. There's a two men in a truck um, moving van parked outside, and the driver comes up to your is is at your door and he asks for directions to a specific address, and you. Want to be helpful? So you give them detailed directions to the address, and you, then you go on about your day. following day, you see on the news that the uh, people at that address were robbed of everything they, they owned. You've just assisted in a crime. Hmm. Are you as guilty as the thieves? 
is your conscience going to be seared? What's the what's the difference between the thieves who misled you into giving them directions and you giving the directions? In that situation, you wouldn't have knowingly assisted. So the 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 heart motive makes a difference. The sin of ignorance. A sin of ignorance. Um, I'd be a little hard-pressed even to consider a sin. Now, discretion would have necessitated, you ask why, but, you know, if you see a two-minute-in-a-truck moving van, you automatically assume they're lost. But you didn't go with him to help steal. Correct. All you did was give directions. But you've, you've you've assisted in a crime taking place. I don't know that. Any other thoughts? I saw a hand back to the back. No? Did you have your hand up? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> your intent was not to commit a crime. It was to just be helpful. Okay, again, the, the, the heart's motive uh, is what um, is, makes the difference. Um, while your conscience may not be seared, per se, we... Might you have a difficult time sleeping that night after watching the news story, seeing that you're, that the, the person's house was robbed? Sure, you have sympathy and empathy. Yes. You assisted in something you accidentally, unintentionally made worse. Right. So uh, our motives matter, the point I'm trying to get at. It, 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 it may not be as cut and dried or black and white as the lesson would, uh, would have us believe. But if you really wanted to um, make the situation better for the people who were robbed, you could approach those and help them with their situation that they find themselves in. Certainly. I, I'm not, yeah, af, what's done after the fact uh, would be a, a revelation of, of the character, one way or the other. No, no, no question about it. Yeah, now you got your hand up. I, I see it. Camera saw it. I saw it. <laughs> The uh, lesson is talking about the people of Tyre when they deliberately handed over the people of God to the Edomites. So they deliberately committed uh, an act against the people of God. They broke the covenant of the brothers. So they were deliberately doing something against God. So in that respect, they are guilty for assisting in a crime because they actually knew, like in, in the in the robbery instance, they actually knew that the person was going to rob them. Uh, again. I'm not questioning their motives. I think their motives are clear. My question was a statement in the lesson that says that, quote, any, from God's perspective, the person who assists and supports a crime is as guilty as the person who commits it. Yeah, but I think, doesn't that imply that they knew that it was a crime being committed? It didn't to me. Um... It, it may have to some others, and, and I, I certainly respect that. But and my my first thought was the the two men in a truck scenario. I heard a scenario on the radio yesterday. Um, uh, a gay couple who was going to be getting married in Washington, and they went to um, a florist shop and asked that the lady that that was there would prepare the flowers for their wedding. She declined 
saying that it was against her belief system to support their getting married. And that, and then on the radio they were talking about if she would have done the flowers for their wedding, she would be complicit in, in the whole yeah. thing. So that's kind of a scenario, yay or nay. I can see, I can see some parallels. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, Nadine's comment was, would you be kind or would you not be kind? Um, is it unkind to make a stand for what you believe in? It depends on what you believe in. Sharon. I think it's an example of today's culture on how many of us are going to be tested for that very point you're bringing out. You know, we need to be kind for all the, quote, sins, sinners mm -hmm. we see out there that, that differ in the way we think and believe. You know, and yet, <clears throat> where are you considered then in the line of tolerance? Right. Um, it, it puts us all in a great position for Satan to continue thumping us on the head, like, gotcha, 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 again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And I think we will be tested more and more every day as all this stuff comes to the surface, mm -hmm. even more. What, uh, what do we think Christ would have done if he was the florist? Exactly. <laughs> Any thoughts? Do what? Never thought of God Never. as a florist. <laughs> I guess he's the ultimate. He designed the, you know, not even Solomon in all his glory is as uh, was as beautiful as the lily. So yeah, he's he's a florist. Well, well, he does send the sunshine on the, you know, on the evil and on the good. On the righteous and the wicked, yes. What if he were the minister? They ask him to perform the ceremony. What would he do? Thoughts? I'm pretty sure every person that's ever gotten married has been a sinner. So I have an issue with yeah. this. <laughs> Just because Did everybody hear that? Our yeah. sin doesn't make them exactly. any worse than us. Well said. I think God would it, Is there... Um, yeah. what she said. She said, I, I'm fairly certain that everyone on the, on the planet Earth who's ever gotten married was a sinner. So God wouldn't treat... The homosexual couple any different than the heterosexual couple? He doesn't condone the marriage of two men or two women. Um, he doesn't condone pride or gossip or anything. Yeah, he, he doesn't con he doesn't condone judging homosexuals for their lifestyle either. Condone heterosexual couples abusing each other. I'm Correct. Uh, or polygamy. Or yeah, or <laughs> a prostitute, but he, he led her to forgiveness. Right. And touched her heart. Right. Scripture doesn't say specifically, but I think it's reasonable to think that Christ himself, when he came, when he was on this earth the first time, came into contact with homosexuals. Considering the environment, um, you know, Greece and Rome, you know, there was, there was weirdness. And I'm fairly certain that none of them felt condemned in his presence. They may have been convicted, but I don't think they felt condemned, just like. Uh, just like the prostitute who was brought uh, brought in before him, you know, on her knees, uh, she wasn't condemned either, but she was convicted. Well, the same sentence that says homosexuals will not be in heaven also says liars won't be. Mm -hmm. So, how many in this room can say they are not ever have told a lie? Right, Elisha. I was just reading this this morning. You know, Elisha lied to the. 
to the uh, company of the uh, the Syrians that came to to take him to the king when uh, when he blinded them and they were brought before him and said this is not the city this is not the way come I will show you I'll show you where you want to go and then he took them to uh, I don't remember the name of the city uh, he took them to the seat of Israel where the king was and then then fed them a feast and let them go so um, this is not a lesson or discussion on on homosexuality, um, but it's a it's a it's an excellent point uh, to kind of f- flesh out some of the things that we, we need to be dealing with here. Um, we don't I don't know that homosexuality is entirely choice or entirely genetic. Some some my 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 personal feeling is that. The reality is it exists somewhere in between, uh, and that's not for us to judge. It's, it's, it's not not my place to judge one way or the other. But we know our sinful nature is genetic. Yes, that's right. I assume we're on lesson four. I'm... Yes, yes, we are. Mm-hmm. We're on uh, Sunday's lesson still. Okay. Well, if I could jump back for a moment to the key thought. Uh, says acts of inhumanity are sins against God and will be judged accordingly. Mm-hmm. When David sinned... Which time? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think this one had to do with Bathsheba. Okay. Uh, he, he said, uh, I have sinned against God. In other words, it wasn't... You, you would think that it would be a sin because he, he violated Uriah or maybe even Bathsheba. You know, but um, this all comes full circle in my mind because of the fact that, you know, in this class, we're considering the healing model mm-hmm. of salvation. And so how do you get past um, sort of being the judge, you know, mentally and and spiritually or ethically, whatever, you know, and, and saying that this is a sin and this is who you committed sin against and bringing it back into your heart and saying, how do I get over this? How do I make myself a healthier person? How do I help other people overcome their health health problems in this regard? And, you know, to go back to your example about the, the um, uh, gay couples or whatever, you know, or your example, um, Unless they are making, well, I mean, I guess just the fact that they're making a public display of their affection or their their commitment to each other is is enough for for a lot of people to say, I can't have anything. I can't really support this. So, you know, take your business elsewhere. But on the other hand, if you're kind to them and you're going to make money and you don't have to you know, participate, you know, in, in whatever you consider to be their their real problems. Um, you know, I think it's an open question as to whether or not, you know, you, you really should or should not be involved. Uh, I mean, it, look, at, look at how we used to treat black people. Mm-hmm. I say we, I, I don't know that I ever did, but, you know, 
They had to go to a, a separate bathroom. They had to drink from a separate fountain. They had to look at how women have been treated through the centuries. In the same restaurant where we were eating, they had they could either be thrown out or, or you know put back in the corner somewhere or something, you know. And and uh, you know clearly it's because people think that they they had a different standard or or level of of either spirituality or or. Um, well, they, in other words, uh, uh, black people often are very earthy, and that you know they're they're more concerned. They'll they'll swear, you know, when we won't, <laughs> and or they'll they'll do a lot of things that, you know, in other words, if they're not if they're not Christianized or or socialized the same way that we are, then we somehow give ourselves. And this could be anybody. I mean, really, we give ourselves um, a pass that you know we can treat them as a lesser, evolved, and less and, and less healthy. And, and Christ addressed this when he was on Earth. He he told us that by the same standard we judge, we will be judged. Yeah. He told us that if we remove the plank from our own eye, we will be better able to discern the speck in someone else's eye. But the bottom line is that um, no one in this room, no one in this state, no one in this country or this earth has the ability to read the heart and to read the mind. Okay, There's only one being in the universe that has the capability of doing that. Three. I think it goes back to, to the intent of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can think back to uh, many years ago when a friend of mine was dating an abusive man. And, you know, she asked me flat out what I thought of him, and I told her, you know, mm-hmm. don't stay with this guy, and whatever you do, don't marry him. A couple months later, she calls me and tells me she's engaged to the same guy. And I told her, okay, but I want you to know, I can't be in your wedding, and I probably will not attend, because I can't support that decision. Mm-hmm. The reason I was doing it was because I was concerned for her health and safety, because I loved her. Right. You know, and, you know, it, it depends on the heart. Do you care about the individual, or are you automatically judging them? How did it work out? Uh, she didn't marry him. <laughs> did she thank you for confronting her? Good. Don't, don't you think the bottom line is that God in his infinite wisdom will condemn all unforgiven sins? It's up to us, I, no matter what our lifestyle is, whether it's homosexual, prostitute, murderer, I, whatever, I, I don't, you have to ask for forgiveness. I don't know that God will condemn anything or anyone. Say that our Savior, when he was on earth, said, Telling the Pharisees, your own by your own words will you be condemned. He also said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you can dovetail those texts together that we can. It's a, it's a heart condition that will end up condemning us in the end. It will be our own as a result of our own choices, our own our own path that we've chosen. We're going to get into this in in the later uh, days in the, in the week. Um. One second. Yeah, from the computer. Viewer has a question and a comment. What if society decides to accept pedophilia as a normal behavior? 
and allows them to marry, how would we treat that in the same scenario? In other words, when people are celebrating destructive behavior, should we support it? Okay. It depends on which law construct you um, are approaching from. It, is homosexuality the way that God designed life to operate? Homosexuality is a deviation from the way God designed life to operate. We don't know the sources of homosexuality. We don't know, uh, like I said, we don't know whether it's entirely choice, entirely genetic, or somewhere in between. But it is a deviation from the way God designed life. If we were all homosexual, the, the species would die out, period. There would be no reproduction. God didn't design two women to, to procreate or two men to procreate. Same thing with pedophilia. It's, it's, a, it's a deviation from God's law, God's natural law, the way that, law, the li- way that life was built to operate. How we as a society handle it, we as a society, we love, we love imposed law. Governments exist to impose law. And governments exist to enforce imposed laws. That's, that's how governments justify themselves here on earth. God's government is different. God's government is not like an earthly government. Please. So. All, all sin has victims. The victim is the sinner. I, I see your point. Yeah, it, it has an, it has an unwilling victim. Certainly, um, and society, yeah, has to take should take steps to protect protect a the minor. There was, I was just reading a story the other, the other day that, uh, um, I think it was in California, a 15-year-old girl was at a party, passed out drunk, and she was raped by three 16-year-old boys who later posted pictures of, of this, of the molest on the, on the Internet. Uh, she saw those pictures and hanged herself. Okay. Who who's, who ends up suffering the greater damage? The, the girl who the girl who was molested and committed suicide because of the shame, or her her, her attackers? Who has the greater character uh, damage? Brittany, you had a hand up. Well, this is unrelated to what I was going to say, but that scenario definitely makes you question what you believe about suicide and what's going to happen to them. I, that's right. Again, I, I not for me to judge. No, I was Thank you. Say, <laughs> I, I was just going to say that if if our construct that we're using in terms of what we should condone or not condone is what God designed us um, to do or to be, God didn't design us to be selfish. So if it, you know, in that regard, anything that promotes selfishness, we should create a law against. We're not doing that. So I'm right. pretty sure that we kind of need to take a step back and be the bigger picture sometimes. And there are societies, back to his question, there are societies that do, in a way, condone pedophilia. They marry off really young girls mm-hmm. to really old guys. You know, and in that respect, whole cultures live that way. That's right. Uh, were there any other hands I missed before we move on? Yes, in the corner. Somebody should say we're, you know, pedophiles, but biblical times. I mean, marrying off young girls has been around forever. Since time immemorial. Uh, Yeah, that's right. So, too, when it comes down to the grassroots of 
pedophile, gays, dry addict, murderer. Mm -hmm. When it comes down to the bottom line, if someone in front of you and you have a known offender who's having a heart attack, the question is, for you, will you let them die or will you do anything to save them? Some people would let them die because mm -hmm. they were their pedophile. Mm -hmm. They don't deserve to live. What would you do? Yeah. And that's a decision you have to decide within your heart. Do you have a heart that is there to save or do you have a heart that's there to destroy? Mm -hmm. yeah. And right. judgment and vindictiveness and those kind of things that we tout are to destroy someone else. We don't understand where they're coming from. We don't understand why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. Don't say we have to agree with it. Right. We still have to, I think, love them regardless. Love, love meaning do what's in their best interest. Okay. Some, sometimes it's in the pedophile's best interest that they be locked. Uh, they, they have their freedoms removed and be, be locked in prison for life. Sometimes that's in their best interest. Um, some, some repeat offender pedophiles ask to be castrated. They, they beg the, the authorities to castrate them. They think is in their best interest. Yes, just a second. Um, just to make a comment on pedophilia and also homosexuality, I think that God spoke through Romans 1 clearly on that. In Romans 1.26 it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And also in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing in, indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And justice did not see fit God to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. That doesn't mean, you know, that God is punishing here, that God is this angry God that, you know, now you committed, you know, something that is out of line with my natural laws that I placed, you know, natural laws by this law, by, by, by which this life functions. But whenever we, whenever we are not aligned with the law of God, with the law of love, what happens is if we steer away from the kingdom of light, we turn into the kingdom of darkness. And what happens to us is we suffer. Our mind becomes depri deprived, as it says here in Romans 1.28. Uh, that, that's a great point. Which, which are not broken. And that's a great definition of what God's wrath is. It's almost like the law of sowing and reaping. Correct. And this is not that, you know, God is now like an angry God, you know, trying to take a stick and beat us because, you know, we've done something out of line. We suffer in our own body the consequences of our own choices. Well said. Well, I was thinking of something else, but her comment has made me think of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, when, when the Lord came down and said, I've come, I've heard the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. Come down to see really is, is it as bad as it was. Obviously he knew it was, but he was telling Abraham that. You know, so Sodom and Gomorrah... It's not just a punishment, it was a misery. Whatever was going on there, the, the cry of pain, of suffering, was going up to such an extent that God saw fit to end it. Out of mercy, I think, 
for the pain that was going on. And to her comment back there, which was my original thought, when we try to preserve someone's life at any cost, we may, it may seem loving to them, but are we loving to their potential victims? You know, if they will never stop what they're doing, do we, they're just allowing them to perpetuate their victimization of other people? Is that loving? One more comment. I'm going to move on to. Well, I was just going to allude to that. God allows Satan to live. And is that loving? Yes. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, uh, it's kind of a similar analogy, I think. Can I say something about that? I mean, one of the main reasons that I've stated an Adventist is the fact that we have, right or wrong, in every particular, we have a very prophetic uh, perspective on history. When when God gave Adam and Eve the the option to choose right or wrong, you know, at the the tree and all that. He also, at probably a later point in time, although the Bible says that they had salvation worked out from the very beginning, before creation was made, he had a prophetic timetable that the whole thing was going to operate on. So essentially, this earth is on a prophetic timetable, which we believe now will come to an end very soon. So just the fact that God allows Satan to continue does does not mean that it's sort of uh, an open-ended infinity type of thing. It's very much on a schedule. To uh, address your comment, um, in chapter 1 of Patriarchs and Prophets, I believe, is entitled, Why Was Sin Permitted? Uh, It's a great read. It's a fantastic read. And in that, um, she states that God could have destroyed Satan as easily as casting a pebble to the earth. But in doing so, the remaining angels and being intelligent beings in other worlds would have served him out of a sense of fear. It was It's actually out of love for all of his created beings that, that God allowed, allowed Satan to live, allows him to continue in life, allowed his character to fully develop, until he uh, killed God himself on the cross a couple of thousand years ago, uh, and allows him to continue to reveal his character. Humanity, the, uh, the inhabitants on earth, are the only beings in the entire universe who have not made up their minds about um, which master they're going to serve. All the rest of the rest of heaven, the rest of the universe, have already, they, they made up their minds uh, that day of Calvary when they saw the commander of, of the angelic host put to death, and God himself in person put to death, Satan revealed that he would, if he was in control of things, he would murder everyone. <clears throat> this is later in the lesson, but I, I, it's appropriate to bring it up now. Uh, let's be very clear. When, when it, whether it's blessings given or blessings removed, whether it's pun, uh, discipline given or protection from Satan's attacks, uh, removed. Everything that God does is a revelation of his love for humanity. Everything. Okay? Even God's wrath, as alluded to in Romans 1, of letting, letting the wicked go at the time of judgment will be a revelation of God's love. Why? Because God is love. 
In the back. If we think our salvation is dependent on genetics, such as some of the gay people believe, you know, that it's a genetic thing, because of the same idea that our salvation is not de- being dependent on whether we're a Jew or a Gentile, okay? Either we're a Jew or a Gentile is a, a genetic thing. We need salvation in either case. We need healing in either case. Mm-hmm. So for those who believe that homosexuality is genetic, okay, they need salvation. They need healing just as much as those who are straight. No, we all need healing. Uh, Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Um, let's move on. Uh, Mon- uh, still in Sunday's lesson, fourth paragraph, starts with, Because God is all-sovereign, he holds the destiny of all the world in his hands. Uh, my first question is, is that correct? And do we have anything to support or refute that? Um, did God hold Lucifer's destiny in his hands? Is there anyone whose destiny God does not hold in his hands? The Bible tells us that we can reject the will of God for us. That Correct. The Pharisees did. Correct. Um, and so, you know, our life comes from him, mm-hmm. but we can reject it. So, to answer the question, God does not hold my destiny in his hands. He does not hold your destiny in his hands. We have a, we have the choice to accept or reject, you know, his... Uh, his law of life. We have the choice to accelerate or decelerate the process. We have the power to do that. I think what the lesson was trying to say is that God's will will eventually be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, the idea that God holds everyone's destiny in, in his hands. God knows the destiny. That's different than controlling the destiny. I, I think the Lesson was was implying that God controls the destiny, and if I'm wrong about that, then my apologies to the author. Uh, Monday's lesson: justice for the oppressed. Uh, here we we see the term social justice. We hear a lot about that uh, by certain political figures who need to remain nameless. Um, is God a socialist? Is he a communist? Is the lesson's author a socialist or communist? Eve? I just thought it was interesting when I was, uh, when we were reading this, um, Amos 1 and 2, um, you know, it keeps talking about God's wrath and how he says, in the NIV it says, um, I will not turn back my wrath. Mm-hmm. But we looked it up in Young's little, little, literal translation and it actually says, I will not reverse it. Mm. Um, so God is denouncing what they're doing. And he's not reversing the consequences. Yeah, he, he's not going to avoid letting them go. Yeah. He's, he's going to, he's not going to, he's going to allow that, their behavior to create a chain of consequences, which will be inescapable. This is a, t- um, my question about God, this social justice here. Does God's view about social justice differ from humanity's? Yes. Understand that, um, Politically, on the liberal, on the very liberal elite left, 
One of the reasons that many of them reject uh, the God concept outright is because of what uh, is said in Scripture in the Old and the New Testament, that the poor you will have with you always. Okay? God said, God told the children of Israel that. Christ told uh, the, his followers on earth that. The poor you will have with you always. Okay? Here in America, we started in the 70s a war on poverty. What happened? We didn't win. Poverty increased. Okay? Every time, every time our government starts a war on something, it, uh, it flourishes. The war on drugs, the war on poverty, the war on terrorism, and there's an unspoken war on personal liberty. Okay? And as we get closer and closer to the end of time, people are going to finally wake up out of their stupor and personal liberty is going to flourish because hopefully with our help we are going to enlighten the world with the two different law constructs this is a this is a quote from cs council on stewardship uh in many cases means which should be devoted to the missionary work is diverted to other channels from mistaken ideas of benevolence We may err in making gifts to the poor, which are not a blessing to them, leading them to feel that they need to exert themselves and practice economy, for others will not permit them to suffer. We should not give countenance to indolence or encourage habits of self-gratification by affording means for indulgence. While the worthy poor, remember that term before, the worthy poor, did you know that there was two classes of poor, the worthy and by implication unworthy poor? While the worthy poor are not to be neglected, all should be taught so far as possible to help themselves. This is from 4 Manuscript Release, uh, page 134. There are two classes of poor, whom we have always within our borders. Those who ruin themselves by their own independent course of action and continue in their transgression, and those who, for the truth's sake, have been brought into strained circumstances. Interesting, exactly. Yeah, in the fourth paragraph, the Bible states, uh, excuse me, the lesson states, the Bible clearly teaches that social justice should be a natural product of the gospel. I could not agree more. That's very well said. It's a natural product of following natural law. Um, my one question was, does it matter which gospel is presented? So one gospel presented, there's going to be a natural product of following one, a false gospel presented, there will be a natural consequence of following that. Wendell. I would respond to that in that um, we are fallen human beings, and, and the true result of the gospel is the kingdom. Of the true gospel, yes. And, and once we get to the kingdom, yes. There will be social justice, and there will be other things, but on this broken world, until... I am healed of my imper- you know, impoverished state mm-hmm. of uh, soul, then I am not likely to treat others like they should be treated. Hopefully that will be a healing process, but, you know, uh, we're not all there. There's a, um, speaking of the social gospel and the poor and how we help them, when I was growing up, we lived on a small farm. We had lots of chickens and cows and garden. 
one weekend we worked hard to harvest our harvest and we took our harvest along with the produce and whatnot and eggs and whatnot and we knew of a family that had quite a few children in it that were very poor and so my father and us four kids hauled these bags of groceries and produce over to their house we got to their house they were sitting on the front porch and as we approached the porch dragging these things up I must have been all of six years old um, the father figure in the family said you know the two teenage sons got up to help us haul the groceries in and said sons sit down the Lord will provide (laughs) nice that was the last time we went there huh (laughs) go figure yes we need to pray for the wisdom of serpents uh, and the discerning and you know the gentleness of lambs, uh, as our Savior had us, would tell us. Uh, Tuesday's lesson, peril of privilege. My question, uh, I have several questions. Are there any parallels between the Israel of Amos's day and present day Seventh Day Adventists? <clears throat> do we have any? Do we have any uh, privileges in common with them? I, I thought of several: uh, education, general. Uh, higher eco- socioeconomic status, a unique understanding of Scripture. We were waiting on the Messiah. <clears throat> they were waiting on the first advent. We were waiting on the second one. Uh, knowledge of health laws. Um, are, are there any perils associated with these privileges? Arrogance. Arrogance. Complacency. Complacency. Gratitude. <laughs> Ingratitude. Ingratitude. Good. Um, the uh, the lesson asserts, um, excuse me, is as the lesson asserts, the principle taught by our Savior: when great privileges in life are abused, they will be replaced with great penalties. Uh, I think that that's somewhere in Tuesday's lesson. Is this really what happens? And if it is, why does it happen? When great privileges in life are abused, they will be replaced with great penalties. This is from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 470. This is in the chapter of Moses, uh, a chapter about Moses' death. God speaks to his people in blessings bestowed, and when these are not appreciated, he speaks to them in blessings removed. Why? that they may be led to see their sins and return to him with all their heart. Thoughts? I don't see anything in this text about pen- in this passage about penalties. Blessings bestowed and blessings removed. We would view blessings removed as a penalty. We might. Like Just- Job, for example, if you view that God removed or allowed... Satan to encroach on the hedge that he alleged was around Job. Right. Be considered a blessing removed, and the consequences were dire. Like a, a child having their cell phone taken away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a penalty. It's not a blessing removed. It's a penalty. We're going to come back to that passage here in a minute. Wednesday's uh, Wednesday's lesson. This is from. Uh, first of all, you know, prepare to meet your God. This is uh, this is the uh, statement uh, at the. Onset of Wednesday's lesson. This is this is Amos finally trying to get the you know Israel uh, and Judah's attention. 
What happened the first time Israel met their God? You don't remember? Exodus 20, verse 18 and 19. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise and the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Okay? This is what happened the first time Israel met their God. (laughs) Why were they terrified? Say that louder. They did not know him. Moses knew him. Moses told them there's nothing to be afraid of. They still didn't believe. And yet when God came back to Israel in the form of Jesus, they killed him. Yes. Why? They still didn't know him. What's going to happen when Christ comes again? And and though there are those who are begging for the rocks and trees to fall on them. Why will they do that? Because they don't know him. In the third paragraph in Wednesday's lesson, uh, the lesson states, the people of Israel did not behave like normal people anymore. Uh, Correct. Well said. And God found it impossible to get their attention. God was finding it difficult to get their attention. Moreover, God's judgments had resulted in the hardening of people's hearts. This is a quote. Do God's judgments result in hardening of hearts? Yes. Prophecy says that the more more often you resist um, the Holy Spirit, your hearts become hardened. So I don't think God has a part in it, but I think we do. I have three, uh, well, no, I have four passages. Uh, if you if you search hearts hardened in uh, all of Ellen White's writings, you get 50-some references. Many of them are repeats. These are four of the ones that uh, jumped out at me. This is from 19 Manuscript Releases, page 181. Why were the eyes of the hearts, why were the eyes of the people blinded and their hearts hardened as they listened to Christ's words and witnessed his miracles? They were convinced of his divinity. The Spirit of God impressed their hearts, leading them to say, This is indeed the Messiah, the one for whom we have looked, the desire of all nations. But they hardened their hearts and refused to accept him. To a great degree, the priests and rulers were responsible for the people turning away from the truth and the maxims of, to the maxims of men. And today, the preachers of the people are following the footsteps of the priests and elders of the Jewish nation. Pay attention. When conviction is trampled on, the light that has shone into the chambers of the mind grows dim, and the darkness of error takes place of the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness. We harden our own hearts. Review and Herald, September 14, 1905. Often the professed followers of Christ are found with hearts hardened and eyes blinded. Why? Because they do not obey the truth. So a knowledge of and obedience to the truth results in a heart being softened. God does not harden our hearts. Councils to parents, teachers, and students, page 364. Let me tell you what I know of this heavenly guest. Guest is capitalized, so she's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit was brooding over the youth during the school hours, but some hearts were so cold and dark that they had no desire for the Spirit's presence, and the light of God was withdrawn. The heavenly visitant would have opened the understanding and would have given wisdom and knowledge in all lines of study that could be employed to the glory of God. He came to convince of sin and to soften hearts hardened by long estrangement from God. What hardens hearts? Estrangement from God, separation from God. Sin hardens hearts. Conscience is seared hardens hearts. God does not harden hearts. The last one, um, Signs of the Times, November 5, 1896. The Holy Spirit comes to convince of sin and to soften hardened hearts, hearts hardened, excuse me, by estrangement from God. And he even says, I come to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart heart of of flesh. flesh. Correct. Back to the lesson, quote, Moreover, God's judgments had resulted in the hardening of people's hearts. I think this is a situation of the lesson having the cart before the horse. The hardening of the hearts are what invited the blessings removed or the judgments of God. It was a natural consequence of the Israelites' hearts being hardened. Wendell. The previous statements in, in you know, Exodus and whatnot about Pharaoh hardening his heart. Yes. And it's described three different ways. Yes. God hardening the heart, him hardening the heart, Pharaoh himself hardening his own heart, mm-hmm. and his heart was hardened. Right. And you know, the analogy is given of, of clay and wax. You know, the sun beats on it or shines on it or whatever, and what is hardened and the other is softened. Mm-hmm. Depends upon the element. The statement is, the people of Israel did not behave like normal people. That depends upon what you're describing. It depends on your definition of normal. Yeah. If, if you're describing what God created, you know, mm-hmm. no, they did not act like normal people. They acted like normal fallen beings. Who, That's right. Who are fleeing from God. Right. Just like us. So could we say then that truth softens hearts, truth rejected hardens hearts? Yes, uh, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, And and this dovetails with um, the passage that says um, they will be given, I'm drawing a blank, they'll be given over to believe a lie. Everybody help me out here. You know, God God will give them over to believe a lie. If you if you reject truth, whatever truth is, two plus two equals four. That's truth. If you reject that and in your mathematical calculation you say, hmm, two, two plus two equals seven. Uh, if you reject that, then what's left? If you reject the truth, the only thing left is for you to believe a lie. Please. I just want to point out that Jesus is truth. He says, I am the truth, the way and the life. You know, right. He is truth. And so anything that deviates from what Jesus is, is not true. Well said. Yes. I just want to point out, bringing King David, I mean, how did God approach him about his 
sin, God didn't just come out and look at what you did. He gave him a parable, kind of, so that he would realize what he had done in a similar way so he could see, oh, I see what I've done, and he repented, you know, of his sins, but God didn't just point out, you did this, that's wrong, and I'm going to punish you by doing this. Right, he had the prophet Nathan uh, speak to him in a parable about the the sheep. And convicted his heart, so... But then well, it, yeah, he pronounced his own. David's pronunciation <laughs> that David said should be done to the person who took that sheep was actually what happened to him. Yeah, he, he pronounced his own, uh, the own judgments that would follow uh, with his own family. One last comment we need to. Well, you know, this comes back to what the point I was make earlier, but then we moved on. But, you know, I guess the concerning thing for me is that David didn't seem to get the fact that he had, you know, basically lied and, and uh, you know, lusted and killed, done all of these things, and he, he had to have the prophet come to him and point this out for him to say, oh, wow, this was wrong. So to this lady's point, you know, when we sin, I think we're always given the opportunity. God impresses on us through one medium or another that we've sinned. We have the opportunity. It's placed before us to make the choice to repent or to harden our heart. And repeated rejections of that of those entreaties make it more difficult for the Holy Spirit to penetrate our minds and convict us of that. And, and there comes a point when there's nothing left of the Holy Spirit to do. And then Lucifer is cast out of heaven. And then the, the wicked are let go to their judgment. But before that, before that, the... Um he gives us up to our own way, and sometimes that in and of itself, with the thorns and thistles that result from our own way, results in restoration. Yeah, sometimes reaping the consequences of our choices, it, it, it wakes us up. Yeah, one last comment. Because it's not just truth, I think, that changes. It's truth accepted and then implemented in our own lives. You know, that's the choice that we, we don't realize the constant decisions, the constant choices we're making in life during the course of our day, we don't realize that. Correct. You know, it would... It's presented, but then we're either consciously accepting it and implementing that into our lives, or we're consciously, uh, you know, rejecting it. Yeah, again, to use the math analogy, if if you've told people for, for decades that 2 plus 2 equals 7, and... You're presented with, you know, irrefutable evidence that two plus two is indeed four. If you continue to believe, if you reject that truth and don't in, and take that truth into your own being, you're going to continue believing in a lie. It's 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 a natural consequence of of re, the truth being rejected. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the insight, the biblical. Um, evidence and, and uh, discernment that you've given us from the uh, examples of the children of Israel. Um, my personal burden is that current Christianity is traveling along the same path uh, and accepting false God concepts and will not be ready at the time when you come again. Please continue to bless our class. Please continue to give us uh, motivation and uh, evidence to carry this message further uh, to the rest of Adventism and to the rest of Christianity so we can accelerate your coming and not be a hindrance. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for your input. Enjoy your week.